Hey folks, just a quick note to let you know you can now support the podcast by shopping on Amazon.com. Just go to the specific page on Nerdist.com for this episode, click on the Amazon banner and shop as you normally would, and Daddy gets a taste. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today we've got round one from a show recorded May 20th, 2014 at the Nerd Melt Showroom in Los Angeles, featuring Anna Saragina, Matt Lieb, Nick Cobb, and Lisa Curry, reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Enjoy. And give it up for your first round one competitor who has brought a prepared piece, Anna Saragina, ladies and gentlemen. All the way to the mic. All the way to the mic. Hello. 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 Um, I hope you are familiar with the fox and the hound. (laughs) It was on a dark, windy night that Todd, a lone baby fox was found by an old woman who brought him to shelter. At first, he was frightened. Of her? Of change? She smiled and assured him that she didn't want to hurt him. He pawed at her. Oh, you're a feisty little rascal, aren't you? She lifted her stained apron, <laughs> presenting her bare womanhood to him. For the first time, silence. She felt vulnerable. I'm afraid it isn't much. She sighed and looked down, but it could be your new home. She concluded sweetly. Todd stared with genuine curiosity, then walked toward her. He looked up at her kind eyes, and at the cue of her gaze meeting his, sweetly suckled at her. He started slow, but quickly grew eager. Now, now, not so fast. She laughed, letting go of her apron. He disappeared under it entirely. Not so fast, she urged. Entirely insincerely. Todd burped. She laughed. Oh my, my, you're such a little toddler. She reached under her apron and felt around for his chin. It became one with her body. She reluctantly grabbed it, gently pulling it toward her. It was sopping with her juices. That's what I'm going to call you, she said, looking into his eyes. Todd. She lifted him into her arms and sat down on her rocking chair. You know, Todd, she whispered, noticing that he had begun falling asleep. I'm not going to be so lonesome anymore. She took out one of her old folded breasts over the top of her shirt collar and put it on the top of his head, donning him with a makeshift hat. They would be happy together, she and Todd. (laughs) Amos, the old hunter next door, had brought home Copper, a hound pup who was to be disciplined by Chief. Behind the hunter's house, Chief, an old Irish wolfhound, propped uh, his back against an old empty barrel and displayed his old graying genitalia to Copper. (laughs) Hey now, Copper, what you sniffing at? He asked and licked his lips, hoping to ignite some interest in his new tiny companion. It was their first afternoon together. I don't know, Chief. 
pop or sniff past the genitalia display entirely, interested in something else altogether. It's something, I don't know, it's something I haven't ever smelt before. Chief pretended to smell the air, too. Oh, shucks, that's easy. Come here, let's uh, train your nose. (laughs) You know. He paused, inching his decaying bulge toward copper. (laughs) You've got a lot of learning to do about a sniffing and a smelling. (laughs) No, copper insisted. It's something else entirely. And before Chief could interject, he declared, I'm going to find out what the smell is. And with that, he ran off into the neighboring yard, leaving Chief alone and embarrassed. Copper ran around for a bit, following the smell. It led him to an empty tree trunk. Atop it sat Todd. The two sniffed one another. What you smelling? Asked Todd plainly with no agenda. I'm on the trail for something, answered Copper, sniffing harder. Why, it's you. He paused, confused. Todd was delighted. I'm a fox! (laughs) He exclaimed, My name's Todd! Mine's Copper! I'm a hound dog! Copper responded, Roo, 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 roo! And with that, he mounted Todd fully. (laughs) They giggled and stayed like so for minutes. You know what? said Todd, gazing directly into Copper's eyes. We should be best friends. Copper laughed in agreement, never getting off the helm. And so the next few months were bliss. The two would meet in the forest, run around laughing, and make plans for the future. They played footsie under a weeping willow and belly flopped into the forest's chilly creeks. They would fully succumb to each other's bodies, too. Copper would playfully fall on his back, pretending to sniff around for an enemy. And then Todd would begin to play along, but stop to suck off Copper earnestly (laughs) and simply there wasn't a single perverse thought in his mind he just loved his buddy (laughs) and so it remained until chief overcome with jealousy and hurt reported the two to the hunter it was awkward (laughs) a couple of days later copper stopped by todd's house and asked that they talk todd obliged and the two made their way to the forest todd desperately tried to mount copper no, Copper said. No, we can't do this anymore. We're, he walked backward, leaving Todd alone under a large tree. We're too different. This was a lie, and it hurt him to say it. I'm a, I'm a hunter now. And with that, Copper ran away. He couldn't bear to look at Todd. There was silence. The wind whistled. Todd felt completely alone. And yet he wasn't alone. Above him, a large owl named Big Mama had watched everything. (laughs) Like an obtuse guardian angel. She watched him from a thick branch. Oh, you poor little fella. It's all right. Big mama's here. (laughs) Keeping her hazel eyes on Todd, she spread out one of her wings. Right here. (laughs) She slowly spanned the wing toward her large beige clitoris, (laughs) which was already pulsating with excitement. (laughs) Big mama... Is She swallowed her words, terrified that she would get caught. Terrified, but excited. Right here. She quivered, her large eyelashes shutting close, her body bursting into a fantastic convulsion. Boomer, a woodpecker, (laughs) appeared slowly from behind a branch and inched toward Big Mama, carefully avoiding making noise. Big 
Mama, she kept uttering, now in a feverish haze. The woodpecker waited until her body was in the throes of a particularly large convulsion and slowly but swiftly clamped himself in front of Big Mama's loin. As she exhaled, he began to peck. (laughs) First gently, then aggressively. Big Mama yelled, overcome with ecstasy. Squeaks, a caterpillar, (laughs) emerged from a tree. He was on eternal run from Boomer, but could not help himself now. He approached the two, rubbing himself on the branch as he did so. The thought of endangering himself like that turned him on beyond his own physical control. He stopped finally between Big Mama's large motherly clitoris and Boomer's large firm beak and immersed himself in both. Now inside both the caretaker and the mouth of his enemy, he was the lucky Pierre. I hope you know what a lucky peer is. That's the guy in the middle of a triangle. (laughs) Together, the three gyrated in a trance. The porcupine came out from behind a bush and stood silently spellbound by the sight. As his body was writhing with want, he pulled out a quill from his own body and began tickling Todd's suddenly puckered, throbbing rectum. (laughs) This all went on for hours until the sun finally set. With it, they all came happily and finally, falling into heavy nirvana, now just a pile of oversexed, trembling limbs. Todd may have been new to the neighborhood, but he would be right at home in the forest. Thank you. Anna Saragina. Better hear it. Here we go for Matt Lieb. Hey, everybody. Hey. Um... Are you guys at all familiar with the Christopher Nolan movie, Memento? Uh, All right. Uh, For those of you who are not, it's a movie backwards. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it's a movie backwards. Uh, So uh, this is called Mormento. Uh, An erotic thriller starring... Guy Piercer, obviously. That's, that's <laughs> all right. Um, scene six, fade in. Johnny is looking away from the camera. His face is covered in cum. <laughs> he then begins waving to the camera with his mouth agape and his tongue out. Johnny closes his mouth for a moment, swallows, and reopens his mouth, revealing his tongue, which now has a quarter-sized pool of semen covering it. Johnny closes his eyes, and just as he does, Leonard's giant penis enters the frame and begins siphoning the cum from off of Johnny's face and tongue like a vacuum cleaner. You hear Leonard shriek, and the screen goes black. Scene five. Scene five. Leonard Shelby, a sexy cable repair man with a non-specific Eastern European accent, <laughs> finds himself in the living room of a beautiful luxury apartment. It's a Victorian, so he knows he must still be in San Francisco. But for what reason? Hi, sexy. I'm here to fix the kit. Why is there a fist in my asshole? <laughs> Leonard realizes that he's bent over naked on the couch. He turns around to see a man masturbating while elbow deep inside his gaping asshole. That man, that man's name is Johnny. Hey, hey, bro, get your fist out of my asshole. I need to fix the cable. 
Johnny continues to masturbate and fist Leonard. Oh, hold on. Uh, I'm almost fucking there. Uh, have I told you about my condition? <laughs> See, I have no short-term memory. I live now only for revenge against... God damn it, Lenny, shut the fuck up. Johnny becomes frustrated and stops stroking his cock. He pulls his arm out of Leonard's ass, and as he does, you can see a small stack of shit-covered Polaroids balled up in his fist. (laughs) How can you yell at me? I am disabled. (laughs) Leonard begins crying. He sees that his Polaroids are in Johnny's hands, grabs them, runs to the bathroom, uh, and he slams the door in Johnny's face. Oh, come on, Johnny. Oh, come on. I'm sorry, Lenny. Leonard walks to the sink, turns on the tap, and begins washing his Polaroids. As he does, he catches his reflection in the mirror. Leonard realizes that his body is covered in tattoos. On his left leg lay a tattoo that reads, Find Him. On his right bicep, a tattoo listed the facts. Fact one, white. Fact two, male. Fact three, Comcast. One tattoo in particular catches his eye and reminds him why he's still in San Francisco. The one across his chest that reads, John G. is stealing the cable. (laughs) Find him and come on his face and mouth. (laughs) Leonard looks down. It's a very long tattoo. Uh, Leonard looks down at the Polaroids, now washed clean. He flips through them and finds a picture of of the man on the other side of the bathroom door. Under his photo reads the name John G. Leonard flips over the picture and reads the caption written in his own handwriting. He is the one. Come in his face and mouth. (laughs) Leonard looks at the Polaroid in shock. It's him. How long have I been looking? He takes one more glance and whispers, I got you, you fuck. Leonard bursts through the door and the force of which knocks Johnny to the ground. He stands over Johnny and starts stroking his long erect cock. You're gonna pay for what you did. Beg forgiveness and then you pay. What what are you talking about? Leonard cock slaps Johnny, breaking his glasses. (laughs) Lenny, you don't know what's going on. You don't even know my name. Your name is Johnny. That's because you read it off a fucking picture. You don't know who you are. I'm Leonard Shelby. I live in San Francisco. I fix Comcast cable. No, that's who you were. It's what you've become. Why don't we go across the street to your office, huh? You and me. I'll show you who you really are. You shut up that sexy mouth. (laughs) You are a thief. And now you pay. Leonard strokes his cock harder and faster. You gonna eat my cum! Screen goes black. (laughs) (laughs) Scene four. Leonard finds himself on the couch laying on his back with his legs behind his ears. Hi, hi, sexy. I'm here to fix the kid. Who is eating my asshole? (laughs) Leonard looks down and finds Johnny furiously licking his hairless anus. Hey, bro, what are you doing? I need to fix the cable. Johnny pulls down his pants and starts masturbating. God damn it. Just shut up and go with it, Lenny. Let me tell you about my condition. I have no short-term memory. Yes, Leonard, you told me. I know. Johnny continues to eat Leonard's asshole. Oh, okay. Have I told you about Sammy Jackoff? 
Sammy, he was also a cable repairman. You see, he had the same problem, he and I, but he had no system. He wrote himself a ridiculous amount of notes, but he'd get them all mixed up. Yes, keep lick the asshole, yes. <laughs> yes, you like eat my shit? It tastes good when you... See, I have a system. I use habit and routine to make my life possible. I use tattoos and Polaroids. Where, where are my Polaroids? Leonard looks around and sees his Polaroids lying next to Johnny. They appear to be covered in vomit. Give me my Polaroids, please. Johnny stops eating Leonard's asshole for a moment and picks up the vomit-drenched photos. You want these pictures? Yes, please, give it to me. You want me to give it to you? Yes. Give it to me. Give me. Give it so hard. Johnny, Johnny bends Leonard over the couch. Here's your fucking pictures. Johnny balls up the photos in his fist and begins to slide his balled up fist into Leonard's asshole. Oh, fuck yes! Johnny strokes his cock while pushing, pushing his fist deeper and deeper inside uh, Leonard's uh, gaping orifice. You like that? You like that, huh? Do you like that? Yes. Uh, uh, hi, sexy. I'm here to fix the kid. Why is there a fist in my asshole. <laughs> Scene three. <laughs> Leonard finds himself staring at what, look, what looks like a man's stomach. Why is there a penis in my mouth? <laughs> Johnny shoves the cock back into Leonard's mouth and violently fucks his face. I'm going to tell you about my condition. <laughs> No, why don't you tell me about it? Okay, I have no short memory. I live only for a war against the man. Leonard can feel the stranger's pulsating member uh, slide in and out of his throat. The feeling of being throat fucked excites Leonard to the point where he almost forgets about fixing the cable. But who is this person that he's throat fucking? He had to know. He reaches to find his Polaroids, but as he does... The cock in his mouth goes too deep and activates his gag reflex. <laughs> Leonard tilts his head to the side and vomits all over his Polaroids with such force that it knocks the Polaroids out of his hands. <laughs> Stop, please, please. We have to be careful. We don't want to end up like Sammy Jackoff. What do you mean? Sammy Jackoff was throat-fucking throat his lover to the point of vomiting as well. But he kept forgetting when he started. Every 10 minutes, his lover would say, keep fucking my throat. Yes, keep fucking throat. He did it for so long, made his lover vomit so much that he didn't even notice that his lover had starved to death, <laughs> sucking his cock. That's, that's so sad. Yes, it is. How about you lick my asshole? Okay. Leonard gets on his back and Johnny begins to eat his asshole. Yes, you like taste my shit. Oh, hi, sexy. I'm here to fix the cave. Who is eating my asshole? Scene two. Uh, uh, hi, sexy. I'm here to fix the cable. Leonard is at the door of a luxury apartment in San Francisco. He's facing an attractive young man named Johnny. Sure, come in. Leonard walks over to the television and assesses the situation. He reaches behind the TV and notices the coax cable is old and frayed. Oh, okay, so here's your problem. You need the new coax cable. Oh, shit. Well, do you have one with you? Yes, but it's very expensive. <laughs> Shoot, I don't have any money. Are you working tomorrow? Tomorrow? I don't know. I don't remember. You see, I have this condition. Condition? Yes. I have no short-term memory. I can't make new memories since my accident. Oh, wow, that's terrible. I hate not remembering stuff. Well, I still have some memories. I remember things like 
Like, I know what this is going to sound like when I knock on it. Leonard knocks on the wall. I know what it's going to feel like when I rub this. Leonard starts rubbing Johnny's cheek. Johnny enjoys the feeling of Leonard's rough hands on his face. I know what it's going to taste like when you fuck my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Leonard and Johnny start making out intensely and begin tearing each other's clothes off. Leonard gets down on his knees, starts sucking Johnny's erect penis. Oh yeah, suck that dick. Why is there a penis in my mouth? Scene one. (laughs) Hi sexy, I'm here to fix the cable. A stern man wearing a Comcast polo shirt looks confused at Leonard. This man is Leonard's manager. No, you're not. Leonard, you were fired three months ago. You can't just come in the faces and mouths of our customers and expect to keep your job. But, but I live only to seek revenge on John G. John G? Oh, you mean the dude who stole cable and your memory? What? Don't you remember your accident? You went over to his house to turn off his cable and you started blowing him? Yes, naturally. Go on. Well, he came in your mouth so hard that he gave you brain damage. Took away your memory. Leonard looks at his manager in shock. Oh, my God. Yeah, and a few weeks later, you came back to his house and you came in his face and mouth. You know, he filed a complaint and we had to let you go. So please, stop showing up here. There is no work for you. Leonard's manager turns his back on Leonard and walks away. Leonard stands in the office alone, realizing that he has no other reason to live, since he apparently has already had his vengeance. Suddenly, the door of the Comcast office swings open and Johnny appears. He approaches Leonard and stares at him. Can I help you? Yeah, uh, my cable isn't working. You think you could send someone in to fix it maybe tomorrow? Yes, I... I can fix the cable. <laughs> what is your name? Oh, hi. Sorry, uh, Johnny. Johnny Grant. Uh, so uh, what time will you come in tomorrow? Oh, I will come sometime between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. <laughs> Jeez, that's, that's a long time to wait. It is, but don't worry. I will come. <laughs> J- Leonard pulls out his Polaroid cam- his camera and snaps a picture of Johnny. All right. Thank you, guys. Matt Lieb. Giving over Nick Cobb. There he is. All right, guys. Um, the following is uh, an erotic story that took place not too long ago, the early 80s to be exact, um, the Reagan years, in Columbus, Ohio. Home of a family humorously divided by politics. <laughs> Specifically, this would have happened somewhere in the beginning of the sixth season. And it stars a young Michael J. Fox and a younger Courtney Cox. Pull yourself together, Alex P. Keaton said out loud to himself as he gazed into the mirror and tightened the Windsor knot of his tie for the fifth time that morning. <laughs> Alex was nervous, jittery even which wasn't completely out of character. He was, admittedly, a bit of a control freak. Everything in his life had to be just right. And this new girl had just shaken him to the core. Her name was Lauren Miller, a tight-waisted brunette whose extra-small cardigans cupped her sweet sweater meat just right. (laughs) They were so right, so perfect that he could feel the front of his pleated doctors tense just imagining her epic tits. Alex slapped himself. Pull it together, man. How are you ever going to be the president with some hippie shrink girlfriend? He grabbed his briefcase off of his four-poster 
and detected a stiff white sock resting on the pillow. <laughs> Evidence. The sock contained the remnants of a passionate marathon fuckfest that took place solely in his mind. <laughs> and it had Lauren's name written all over it, literally. Alex, in a rare fit of creativity, had gotten into his brother Andy's arts and crafts bin and made a remarkably exact replica puppet. <laughs> Alex quickly grabbed the fuck doll, skirted across the hall, and hid it in Mallory's laundry basket. His sister would, ne- her sister would never notice. She was a fucking idiot. <laughs> Alex felt his pants constrict as he knocked on the door that read Psychology Testing Center. After waiting what felt like the entire Lyndon Johnson administration, <laughs> Lauren finally opened the door. She was clad in a sexy number that showed off all of her best assets. An oversized purple sweater, suspenders, biker shorts, and high tops. Alex felt beads of sweat roll down his hairless chest and fiddled to loosen his Windsor knot. It was hot and he was soothed by Lauren's 10,000 BTU air conditioner cooling down the otherwise steamy Cyclab. Lauren's desk was a mountain of papers, reports on schizophrenics, manic depressives, and overachievers. Alex noticed his headshot on the top of the third pile. Did he see something written on the headshot? Was it a smudge? Lipstick, perhaps? He couldn't tell. He was too far away, too dizzy to focus. Alex, you're 10 minutes early. But I guess that fits for an overachiever, Laura said with a smirk. Alex smiled nervously and fumbled in his pocket for his pocket watch to see if Lauren had been correct. While reaching for his watch, his grandfather, Alex's hero who helped Nixon fundraise in the Great Lakes region, <laughs> gave him years before. Alex's fingers rammed up against what had become a raging hard-on and decided to leave the watch alone so as not to draw attention. And just like that, Alex was playing defense like that liberal fuck, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> it's not a problem, Laura said, Lauren said with a smile. I've been looking forward to seeing you again. You were so feisty during the intake last week. I can't wait to strap you into that lie detector. No good with awkward silences, Alex blurted. Don't you think I should meet your parents first? Lauren smiled politely at his awkward humor and dropped a pen. Alex bent down to grab it and felt Lauren's eyes scan the landscape of the back of his khakis. Maybe he was just being crazy. This was the room for it. But were her nipples tingling? It was just too difficult to tell and them hiding underneath that damn sweatshirt. Had he asked Lauren, she could and would have confirmed that yes, her nipples were in fact becoming more erect by the second. Her bee stings were popping out like two overdone turkeys. As Alex stood up, he couldn't help but gaze at her mounds, and he had to adjust himself so his boner wasn't too obvious. Lauren felt Alex's tension and said, somewhat shaken herself, I really need to get that air conditioner fixed. The chill in here is giving me goosebumps. So are you ready for the test, Lauren asked. Alex retorted, I was born ready, baby. At Lauren's eye roll... Alex immediately regretted how lame it sounded rolling off of his dry tongue. He scorned himself in his head. This is going down like Watergate. (laughs) Alex, don't be nervous. This is just a polygraph machine. If you display increased pulse or tension, the machine buzzes, and I will know you're lying. I've got nothing to hide, Alex said. Buzz. Oh, good, it's working. (laughs) 
I want to see how you'll fit in with the rest of the subject group. Politically, how would you describe yourself? I don't really like political labels. Buzz. Typical overachievers are so focused, focused on their careers that there's not much time for dating. Would you say you have an active social life? This particular year was a little slow. The lie detector finally emitted an almost proud silence. Okay, you passed, Alex, but I do have one final question. Lauren then removed her suspenders and grimace-tinted sweater and cupped her breast in her hands. Do these make you rock hard? Harder than trickle-down economics, Alex laughed nervously. The lie detector again remained silent. Lauren then removed her high tops, pulled off her biker shorts and finally her panties in one seamless 25-second motion (laughs) to reveal a billowing, full and fragrant bush. It was as thick and as dense as George McGovern. (laughs) And how about this, she demanded, her legs spread wide. Alex, barely able to speak at this point, uttered, that's my second favorite bush, to the vice president. (laughs) To this, the lie detector screamed in protest. Fine, it's the best bush I've ever laid eyes on. Have you seen many? Well, I once saw my sister Mallory's by accident. She was in the shower. Shh, Lauren shushed him, straddled him, grabbed his hand and pressed it onto her right breast, the bra still intact. He loved the perkiness of Lauren's 32B. Anything more than a handful is a waste, he thought to himself. (laughs) Alex's Johnson seemed to be unzipping the dockers by itself as the lie detector was now buzzing at a constant rate. Alex P. Keaton, what are you going to do with your other hand? Well, I don't know. How about taking it around back through the staff entrance? (laughs) (laughs) Forget my hand, Alex said, and spun Lauren around on her desk, smack into the mound of overachiever resumes. She clinched his lipstick-smeared headshot, Alex noticed that it was, in fact, already wet. He slid in easily. And then, recalling a random memory earned long ago while posing for a family portrait, sung quietly, confidently, What would we do, baby, without us? To which Lauren replied, Sha-na-na-na. Nicob. And your final round one competitor, Lisa Curry. So, uh, this is maybe kind of cheating. I, Malcolm X's birthday was yesterday. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he was wiretapped by the FBI. And so I was going through some of the wiretaps, and I just found this. <laughs> This is just some of J. Edgar Hoover's transcripts. (laughs) I just want to share it with you. Uh, All right, this is so this is him. Uh, Long before his inciting I Have a Dream speech, I knew the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was up to no good. I had had enough of his bullshit anti-violence rhetoric when I first requested to wiretap him and every last one of his associates. It wasn't until after the March on Washington, though, that Bobby Kennedy finally came to his senses and approved of the wiretap. 
For months, I hold up in my office at the Department of Justice, listening to every boring detail of that false Uncle Tom motherfucker's life. (laughs) It sickened me that even privately, he he carried on the facade of being a peaceful gentleman. I started to unravel at the thought that I may be the only person in America that could see that he was secretly plotting to overthrow the government. (laughs) Thankfully... Although I couldn't nail him for any explicit plans of anarchy, it seemed the Reverend had an insatiable lust for white women and often had drunken affairs in seedy hotel rooms. Most were short, as his broken whiskey dick kept him from ever climaxing. <laughs> Even when he wasn't drunk, his pudgy carcass and clogged arteries left his body unfit for fucking. <laughs> as if I hadn't hated him enough for his nefarious political maneuvers, and all the time I listened to him heave his stubby body onto a woman, I could never muster so much as a half an erection. <laughs> his impotence became so maddening to me that I nearly lost sight of why I was spying on him in the first place. <laughs> I began to lose track of days and even weeks, and before I knew it, the time had come for the Civil Rights Act to, take, to go to a debate in the Senate, an event I knew not only Dr. King would be attending, but also his more hostile civil rights counterpart, Malcolm X. The morning the bill first hit the floor, March 26, 1964, I awoke with a full, st- full and sturdy erection, <laughs> certain I'd finally be able to catch the two men plotting together. Although they had not yet met, it seemed to only be a matter of time before they would join forces in order for the entire Negro population to rise up and plot a coup together. (laughs) I had the entire building bugged to ensure that I wouldn't miss a moment, and then I waited. The anticipation of their meeting filled me with such unadulterated bliss that I couldn't keep my erection down for more than five minutes at a time. No matter how much I came, my cock kept getting hard again and again. Finally, the Reverend and Malcolm X stepped outside of the Senate caucus room and met for the very first time. I began to sweat as I visualized them greeting one another. They spoke only briefly before walking off separately, seemingly going to their respective hotel rooms. For a moment, I was crushed. All I had been waiting to hear for the last six months had amounted to nothing but a handshake. A fog came over me as I listened to the din of reporters' chatter for nearly 30 minutes, weeping silently with my hard, sweaty cock in my hand. (laughs) When suddenly, I heard Dr. King's unmistakable shuffle echo through an empty corridor and into a private room. He was not alone. Just behind him, I could hear the deliberate rhythmic stride of what had to be another man. I let my slacks fall to the floor as I prepared to finally hear a plan of epic treason. (laughs) The reverend spoke first. What in your twisted mind would make you think I'm being subsidized by the white man? He snapped. And then came the voice I had been longing to hear. Everything you do is for the white man, Malcolm replied. With all this turn-the-other-cheek nonsense, we ought to call you the reverend Dr. Chicken Wing. The reverend was furious. Everything I do is for the good of the people, our people he said, slamming his fist onto a table. Then tell me, Dr. King, what good does it do our people when you're having relations with other women behind Coretta's back, Malcolm asked. I leaned in closely now, sweating and shivering with glee, only to realize that I had no longer cared to hear of any illegal activity. I'm a sex addict, Dr. King replied shyly. (laughs) Second only to absolute freedom, my daily thoughts are filled with wild fantasies of of fucking nearly every woman and man I encounter. (laughs) In the moment of stunned silence that followed, I thoroughly lubricated lubricated my cock in preparation of what would be the hardest I had ever masturbated in my life. (laughs) Prove it, Malcolm said. Prove to me that you have a serious problem, and I'll be your total ally from this point forward. But how do I... King stammered. Get on your knees and suck my cock right here, right now, Malcolm ordered. 
or I'll leave this room and tell the world that you're just another adulterous coward. As King knelt down, I began masturbating with a joy I hadn't felt in years. The whole bed shook as I furiously masturbated with all my strength, imagining King's plunk plump lips wrapped around Malcolm's long, thick cock. Malcolm remained silent as King choked, clearly struggling to fit all of Malcolm's cock into his mouth, a sound I never heard while listening into women going down on the reverend. (laughs) The sound of Dr. King choking on a dick made me masturbate with such vigor that my shaft began to chafe and then bleed. (laughs) I kept at it as King moaned and and whimpered, presumably praying for Malcolm to come so it would be over. King continued to slobber and suck on Malcolm's cock as I exhaustively climaxed again and again. Malcolm finally came after nearly 30 minutes and King gave out out a muffled yelp before swallowing the satisfied civil rights leaders come with a loud gulp. (laughs) Let this be a lesson to you, Malcolm said as he zipped up his pants and walked toward the door. I am the one true leader of the civil rights movement. As he closed the door behind him, Dr. King whispered to himself, spitting out a bit of cum, Black is beautiful. (laughs) As I slumped over onto my side with my bloody dick in my hand, I shut my eyes and I too whispered to myself, Black is beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Lisa Curry. Stay right there, Lisa. Lisa, you can come back. Let's get everybody from round one back up. You guys will be voting on a winner. Uh, so first, I'm just going to remind you what everybody read, and then uh, then we'll vote on a winner in a second. So don't vote yet. We started with Anna Saragina with The Fox and the Hound, then uh, Matt Lieb with Memento, Nick Cobb with Family Ties, and Lisa Curry with Malcolm X. So pick a winner with your applause, starting with Anna Saragina, Fox and the Hound. <laughs> Matt Lieb, Memento. Nick Cobb, Family Ties. Lisa Curry, Malcolm X. Your round one champion, Lisa Curry, ladies and gentlemen. Big round of applause for everybody from round one. That does it for round one. To hear round two from this show, download episode 74 next week. Hey, if you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on iTunes. Upcoming live shows include July 20th at the Virgil in Los Angeles, August 24th at the Doug Fur in Portland, Oregon, August 25th at the Capital City Theater in Salem, Oregon, September 7th at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington, and there are plenty more coming soon. For details, you can always follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.